The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Again, reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer afflictions, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is God's holy, inspired word. Father, thank you for this heart-endearing message from the Apostle revealing the depths of his love love and longing for a people. We pray for great insight into your heart for your people. Guide us as we study your word together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the occasion for this situation is obvious when we consult the book of Acts in chapter 17. It's there that we read that Paul and Silas 
had gone, and after preaching for three straight synagogues in the Jewish synagogue, had made some converts, there was an uprising of jealousy from among the Jews that stirred up a mob of wicked men in the city, resulting in casting out Paul, Silas, and Timothy from the city of Thessalonica. Luke records there in the book of Acts that many Greeks and not a few women of standing in the city were persuaded that Jesus Christ was indeed the Jewish Messiah who had died for their sins and had risen from the dead. And these men who had turned the world upside down were sent on to Berea and then to Athens and from there were hindered to return to this infant church for whom their hearts longed so deeply. They had no cell phones. They were without the technology of Skype and were left in the dark as to the spiritual welfare of these people and cause for great concern for Paul and his companions. In verse 17, Paul describes this this unexpected and turbulent separation from these people. He uses the word torn away, only once used here in the New Testament. And the root of that word is orphan, a parentless child. And so we believe that Paul's earlier references to his role as a father and a mother to this young congregation, an indicator that Paul felt bereaved, having been wrenched away from his own children. Years ago, when my wife and I were expecting our firstborn child, we were traveling from Texas to Nevada and making a flight connection through the airport at Denver. And uh, as we got onto the plane, my wife realized she was hungry and regretted not having eaten something that evening. And I, as a young husband and soon-to-be father, was most eager to get off the plane and go buy her something to eat. And this is just to note how far we've come in 12 years. This is back in the day when you could actually get off the plane. And I got off the plane, and I jaunted on over to the nearby Quiznos to buy her a sub, and My assumption that I had plenty of time was proven wrong. As I returned back to the gate and the door was shut and they refused to let me on. Now thankfully, due to various delays that day, there was another flight leaving in 20 minutes. And so I got on a different plane to fly on my way to Las Vegas. So here I am with my sub sandwich and just wondering and a bit anxious over my poor wife, who must be fretting for my welfare, wondering where I am, not knowing whether or not they would inform her that I was only 20 minutes behind her. But sure enough, we made it. Having been unexpectedly torn asunder for a short time, we were, after a few hours' time, gladly reunited. And no, I did not eat her sandwich. I promptly returned it to her upon our meeting in the Vegas airport. Well, our experience of being torn apart pales in comparison to Paul and his companions being ripped away from this newborn church. Paul here expresses his passion, his desire to see these people face to face. However, he'd been hindered from Satan to do so. Paul very well knew and believed in a sovereign God who is in control of all things, yet 
And this instance was given keen insight into the powers and the spiritual forces at work, stirring up jealousy among the Jews, raising up an angry mob of wicked men seeking destruction, preventing Paul from continuing his work begun in the city. Paul had become so attached to these people that he refers to them as his hope, his joy, and his crown at the coming of the Lord Jesus, having been privileged to lead them to faith in our Savior. Paul is genuinely burdened, longing for, to be reunited with them to give them further instruction in their young faith. Well, as trivial as my flight experience with my wife was years ago, such was not trivial the tragic separation between the Iranian-American pastor Saeed Abedini from his wife and children. A year ago, this American, Iranian-American pastor was visiting Iran to continue a work of mercy in his homeland when he was falsely accused and apprehended by authorities. And from thence he has been detained in prison. He has suffered torture, inattention to poor health, and very limited communication with the outside world. To top off his suffering, he is separated from his dear wife and precious two children who live in Idaho, I understand, who lived to intercede for husband and father, pleading with diplomats and representatives from the UN to seek his release that this brave young pastor might be restored to them. This godly Iranian family shares something of Paul's sufferings, something that you and I, few of us perhaps, experience in this life. Nevertheless, we all have loss, experience hardships, endure separations, and we can all relate to that earnest human desire to be with the people we love reunited in peace and security. We long to be with those we love, to see them mature in Christ, and yet in this fallen world there are many obstacles that plague the path, that prevent mature growth. It's only Christ who can sustain us when we are apart, and it's only Christ who can carry us on and complete us to perfection. Tonight, there are three things in Paul's response listed here in chapter 3 that I want us to consider. How we exercise our faith in Christ by taking considerable action, taking consolation in the Lord, and thirdly, taking counsel with God in prayer. Though he was hindered by Satan... Suffering in the midst of longing and grief, Paul did not sit on his hands. He took action. Though he could not go himself, he sent the very next best thing. His own son in the faith, Timothy. This gift would be costly, as giving up Timothy would remove him from his companionship and support. But however, it says in verse 1 that when Paul and Silas could bear it no longer, they sent their brother Timothy. It was worth the risk and the sacrifice. Timothy here is called a brother in the Lord. He is called God's co-worker, 
a, an, an exalted status, a privileged status, indicating one's clear call to the gospel ministry sanctioned by the Lord. Paul sent him with a clear purpose to exhort and establish this young church in their faith. The word establish means to strengthen, to make firm. Everywhere it's used in the New Testament, it speaks of building up new converts in their faith. This past year, I planted two young dogwood trees in my yard, and I was instructed to water them frequently and even put... uh, chicken wire around the base of the trunk to protect them, to keep the young rabbits from chewing away at the bark and so damaging the tree. But after I had planted them, I also learned from my neighbor uh, that he had unsuccessfully planted dogwood trees in his own yard because voles, those little underground varmints, got to the roots and tore them and destroyed those trees. And so now I had another threat to be concerned about. Paul is concerned. As he expresses in verse 3, this sapling of a young church, that they not be moved by these grievous afflictions, and so be discouraged to the detriment of their faith. Paul is willing to suffer the loss of Timothy for a time in order to achieve a very important purpose. Recently, our Great Commission Committee helped to send our own Becky Irvin to visit her daughter Charity and family in Spain to support them and help them during a time of difficulty with some pressing health needs. Our own dear pastor, Keith Irvin, is without his wife for a time, but for a good purpose. Not only the support of his own daughter, but a, a missionary family who is dear to our hearts as well. Just this week, Keith and Bonnie Greer planned to go off on a missionary care visit to see three of our missionary partners on the continent of Europe to invest in them, spend time with them, and love them and encourage them, come alongside them in a difficult work. It's costly. It is sacrificial, but it is well worth the investment to help us continue the good work to maintain our relationship with the people doing work who are extensions of us in other parts of the world, that the gospel may flourish and prosper according to God's will. So Paul took considerable action. He sent Timothy with a purpose and we also learn here that it was, for, it was a pressingly urgent matter. In verses 3 and 4, he reminds believers that we are all destined for afflictions. When they had been together, Paul had taught this young church, instructing them that suffering was part of God's will. Jesus told his disciples to consider the cost. You must be willing to take up your cross and follow him. You have to admire Paul's integrity, not to candy-coat the gospel. Unlike the charlatans of our age who profess a health and wealth gospel, devoid of suffering and hardship, or a false gospel that denies the eternality of hell. Paul forewarned these new converts that they would indeed endure pain 
and suffering to enter the kingdom of God and into eternal glory. And so this errand of Timothy was most pressing, as Paul was most fearful, that somehow the tempter might tempt these young believers into discouragement, perhaps even to the point of abandoning their faith to avoid suffering persecution. Here in the West, the church enjoys relative calm, where we still experience uh, freedoms that are secured by our Constitution. But our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, in places like the Middle East, Northern Africa, parts of Asia, suffer brutally at the hands of wicked men in government and various Muslim extremist groups. I believe it's our duty to be informed to pray for them, to petition on their behalf where we are able that they might receive intervention and relief. And yet here back at home, we are called to remain vigilant. We do not know God's timetable. At what point our culture might turn the tide, outlawing our common Christian practices perhaps condemning the very teaching of the gospel as hate speech. Is our faith strong enough to endure such testing? In the meantime, are we learning to apply our faith to the various pains, sorrows, and separations, trivial as though they might be, a short time departed for someone we care about, or perhaps more devastating, the experience of death? or a loved one, or a leader, denying the faith. The Bible says that our time is short. Take action. To shore up the faith of those that we love. Are we investing in the people that we love and care about? Preparing them for that time when they very well might be, or will be separated from us. That they might be better prepared to withstand the various trials and temptations they will undoubtedly face. Certainly this applies to parents, to our children and youth workers, to those who visit the sick and the aged, who are that much closer to life's end, as health and circumstance would have it. The Bible would call us to make the most of our opportunities, to spend time in God's Word and in prayer expressing thanksgiving and joy when we are together. Take action. For our time is short. Well, not only are we to take considerable action as we meet these types of trials, we are also called to take consolation in the Lord, as Paul does here in verses 6 through 10, as he receives a good report from his brother Timothy. Paul describes Timothy's report of faith and love coming from this young church as good news. This is the same word, gospel, the good news, as is expressed throughout elsewhere in the New Testament. Hearing confirmation of this young church's faith and love and memories was like the gospel to Paul. It is the best of news. When we hear encouragement from our loved ones, those over whom we have worried 
and had sleepless nights and offered up prayers and expressed our anxiety to our friends when we are separated by great distances. Endure the frustration of ineffective communications when there are dangers and threats to those we care about. The news of peace and well-being is like glorious music in our ears. Timothy reports that these mere babes in Christ demonstrate true faith and love. Fond memories of the apostles longing to see them as they long to see them. And it's for this reason in verse 7 that Paul expresses great comfort in all of his distresses. How our hearts are lifted when we hear a mission report of a good work begun that continues to prosper. When we meet a new believer. And it's so instinctive to share our story, how we came to faith, that we might shore up one another, encourage one another, be strengthened in the bonds of Christ together. The word that a college student is walking with God. On a college campus notorious for the idols of our age, comforts a troubled heart of a parent. Like the news of a young soldier passing safely through the line of a firefight. In verse 8, Paul says, For now we live. If you are standing fast, in the Lord, when we hear of others standing firm against opposition, it renews our vitality in Christ. It's only natural to offer up thanksgiving here in verse 9. Enjoy receiving the consolation, knowing that the gospel has taken root and is growing on to maturity, even in the midst of adversity. Paul is comforted, knowing that his prayers offered up night and day, are being answered by a God who is eager to bless us in Christ. Well, perhaps it's easy to take consolation, to express gratitude when the news is favorable. When the people that we care about are prospering, when they give back good report, we receive life, comfort, after many nights of anxious prayer. But what do we do do when the news is not so good or when it is uncertain? Children indeed do leave home for school, for college to make their way in life and do not always return and sometimes without their spiritual roots. Those for whom we have invested our teaching and our prayers do not always mature and persevere the way that we would hope. Mission works do close. Church plants are sometimes shut down. People that we know and love and perhaps have learned from sometimes prove false, causing us to wonder what that flicker of life, what that expression of zeal must have meant years ago. Paul's earnestness in this letter, his expression of anxiety and even Fear revealed that he was well aware of all of these possibilities. He knew all too well. The seductive power of the devil, twice mentioned in our passage, whose schemes and devices and deceptions destroy the work of God and disrupt the progress of God's people. The sower scatters. 
And sometimes only time can discern the true condition of the soil, whether that seed has been scattered along the path, amongst the rocks, in the midst of weeds, or upon good soil that bears much fruit. Paul knew heartache of brothers proven false, betrayals, apostate churches, and former so-called partners in the work of God. And yet, good or ill, true believers in Christ know that all things work together for good. That God does indeed work out all things for his purposes and his glory, and we take consolation, confidence in the Lord, even in the midst of disappointment, temporary trial, trusting and resting in his sovereign goodness believing wholeheartedly that God's work does ultimately prevail against all opposition. And while we wait in limbo, while we exist in the tension of the already and the not not yet, we are implored to take up a third application from this text. We are to exercise our faith by taking counsel with God in prayer. Paul gives us three distinct petitions in verses 11 through 13, this benediction-like closing of chapter 3, each of these petitions beginning with the word may. Notice even this prayer, it begins and ends with an appeal to our God and Father and our Lord Jesus. Paul's first request is that God might direct their way that they might be together. He basically is asking God to clear the path of obstacles. Though Satan has hindered them, God is more than able to remove these roadblocks. And this petition reminds us that it is perfectly legitimate for us to ask that God meet our tangible needs. We pray for missionaries to receive their visas, to be able to buy a car, We pray for our young people to be protected from harm's way. We pray earnestly that we might be together, expressing the very heart of God, who so longed to be with his people that he was willing to be separated from his son for a time that he might reconcile us to himself to be with him forever. A second request in Paul's prayer is that these people might increase in number and abound in love. Paul desires that this church and all churches show God's love to each other and to those on the outside, to outsiders in the world around them. Pain, persecution, sometimes afford us the best opportunities to demonstrate the power and love of God to a watching world, baffled, eager to see perhaps that there is such a thing as genuine faith and love in this cursed world. Thirdly, Paul prays that the hearts of these believers might be blameless and holy, a call for us to pray for one another's holiness, that we might grow in holiness, and that this is an ongoing request that doesn't resign itself to various emergencies of health and financial sort. We're called to pray and to seek holiness and be a witness for God's glory 
You'll notice in this third petition that Paul once again uses this word established to describe the work of God. It's the same word he used to describe the work of Timothy back in verse 2. What a privilege. It is a privilege that we have as God's co-workers to establish, to strengthen, to build up, to affirm one another in our faith. God works. And you and I work. We must do what we are called to do, and yet we must rely upon God to do what only God can do. Separation and loss. Disappointment and discouragement. Disasters and the devil's schemes will surely afflict God's people until Christ returns. But until then, may we take considerable action where we can. May we take consolation in the Lord. And may we take counsel with God in prayer, exercising our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we live by faith, knowing that the day is coming when we will never be separated ever again. This world we live in is afflicted with disease and death and distance and dangers that threaten God's church. Yet our Lord promises a time is coming when there will be no more wars, where daddies will not need to go off to battle anymore. There is a time coming when there will be no more missions, where children and grandchildren will not be relocated halfway around the world. There will no longer be any grieving over loss of loved ones, of those who die in the Lord, for we will all be in God's glorious presence. For God so longed to see our face. That he longed for us to be with him. For us to see him face to face. That he was willing to be separated. To have his son torn away from him for a time. Sent on a glorious rescue mission to save us from our sins. And deliver us from the wrath to come. The Son is now back with the Father. And eagerly awaits our coming. When we will be restored unto him. He is even now preparing heavenly places where we will dwell with him forever. Never to be separated. Ever again. Even so. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for the sorrow and the separation, the suffering of Christ, that we who are separated from you might no longer be hindered by sin and the work of evil, but might be reconciled and brought into your holy presence. We long for the day when we will see you, and even as we endure the trials of this world, may we take action. May we take consolation. May we take counsel with you in prayer. May we be a people earnest for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen.